Listen up and take a knee. I didn't budget for 40. Never thought I'd live to see 30. Now I'm 50. Tired of the horse shit. It's time to throat punch the weak sauce that masquerades as manhood 20 years into the 21st century. And I better start with my own. Welcome to St. Hank's. This is the American Badass's Guide to Everyday Sainthood. And who am I? Well, I was killed twice on basic cable by Bigfoot. And I could parallel park a school bus. But don't worry about that. I'm more knucklehead than badass. Somehow, after misplaying nearly every hand that life dealt me, I'm sitting here at the final table, the money round, the cash game, with a huge stack of chips. But those chips are worthless unless I push them into the middle of the table. Unless I commit, really commit to something. So let's worry about who I'm trying to become. And that is Hank. You do it as tough as it is possible to do. And you do that in all things. I don't know who Jay Cutler is. Oh, you. Hey, if you want a father, I'll give you a spanking. Popcorn. Hit the yard, me. If you could, you would. When there's nothing left to burn, you have to set yourself on fire. She told me again she preferred handsome men. But for me, she would make an exception. Be careful choosing the music you listen to on a Sunday. I wasn't. And well, these lyrics to Alabama Chrome catch the feeling best. Extra credit if you can tell me what Alabama Chrome is. Sunday, I am young and wild. Monday, I go lame. Tuesday, I start twitching. Wednesday, I'm insane. Thursday, I lie dying. Friday, quite dead. Saturday, I get carried away by things better left unsaid. Some algorithm, familiar with my penchant for old friends who can't be reached, lost loves who wouldn't stay but couldn't stay away, near-missed long shots and misspent debts, is doing the choosing. The AI doesn't know it's Mother's Day. I had to pull up some Mama Said Knock You Out on my own. It started, as the show did, with the sainted Leonard Cohen, the now-resting patriarch, the musical medicine man of sadness, yearning, and deliverance's hippest tribe and then moved through his family tree. Jeff Buckley's on his way, the son who looked most like him, and left us decades before his spiritual father. Patty Smith is here, his baby sister, or maybe a goddaughter, shrieking the 23rd Psalm, just moments before a haunted love song she'd share with Springsteen and Natalie Merchant. If Nick Cave comes up, I'll never get to this microphone. Cave's brand of dark angel tree is madness, sadness, and yearning. It inspires phone calls, long drives, and the occasional Bible study. Better to travel with Lucinda Williams. She'll take you through the whole of the twilight south, just sitting in your seat, in the sun, watching your wife's weird dog chase blowing leaves, and keeping a weather eye on the horizon for hawks, at least one of which, it turns out, is probably a falcon. Then it gets interesting. Whiskey bottles and rosaries, sawdust floors, replacements, Near greats and the best things that never happened. Lyrical stories that inspired a hundred more stories. Like Whiskeytown said, punk rock was too hard to sing. 
So I started this damn country band, but no country chart can hold these guys and the other side of the aisle left standing orders with the bouncers never to let them in. They've got 16 days before they hang. So excuse me if I break my own heart tonight. And if the rain falls down on your godforsaken town, let your eyes drift easy into mine. The days of long solo road trips with a cassette mixtape of bands you've never heard of before are gone. But somehow, that's where my heart and mind are tonight. It's a strange steel guitar and dim nightclub melancholy world inhabited by this algorithm. And here we get to the alternative founding fathers. Electric guitars and acoustic lyrics. The legendary impediments who never played a single gig. Cohen's dark spark and searching mixed with 80s rock with fiddles and some steel guitar. Uncle Tupelo, which split into two great bands, one you should have heard of, but most haven't, another immortal in its resistance to being heard by more than a few. You and I used to shine like a jewel, but time's been nothing to us but cruel. A couple songs about floods and a river town, like the town I'm from, and the floodplain where I now live, St. Genevieve, the singer tells me, can hold back the water. But saints don't bother with your tear-stained eyes. You'd think I'd have known it already, but it took an old friend, lost somewhere, out there, in nomad land, to explain that Genevieve is the saint of flood-besieged cities. Among other things, the saints like to hedge their bets. What can you do? Better a lost masterpiece than a found mediocrity. You left a big impression for a girl half my size and ain't nobody going to see eye to eye with a girl who only stands about collarbone high. I'll share a secret with you. One that helped my students win Library of Congress poetry contests. Sing a misheard lyric and you have written a poem. So be careful what quality of lyric you mishear, especially on a Sunday. An example? Well, let me oblige. If you find me, I'll be yours in a heartbeat. Come to Cane Hill, where the rebels and the rogues meet. I know, it's still winter rules and there should be no singing. But I guarantee you, a handful of former English students are losing their minds hearing that again. Kind of a lasting inside joke. And... The real joke is that what I just sang is maybe about 35% of the lyrics in the song and nothing like the melody, the actual melody. And a lyric misheard, a song that shouldn't have been sung, suddenly a poem is written and maybe a contest won. But I'm overdue to share a story. If you waited through that little concert, you should be able to float in the familiar waters of a narrative and reflection. Should it be the story of Westerberg's ashes in a Jameson's bottle? That one involves a rock star on the wrong side of a locked tour bus door with the wrong girl. And me punching the drummer and kicking the door open. What can I say? That Jameson's bottle was full on the boat ride over. Long before we filled it with Westerberg's ashes. Oh well, for some reason it was always Jameson's. And like the song says... With a beer in each hand and a smile in between, all around is a world grown mean. 
I know. I'll tell the story of how Mayday could have gotten us free tickets, but instead insulted Jay Farrar. But first, a little slice of time and place and a magic you can't recapture but can only wait for it to come back around. That's tugging at my memory. It won't go away until I give it some words to fly on. So, here goes. There were three small music venues in one neighborhood of a great American city. Some nights, all three would have at least three bands playing in them on the same night. All were bars, not incidental to this story. Unless there was a big headliner, the cover for each bar could be less than 10 bucks, five bucks some nights. Even if there was a headliner, it was rare that they would cost more than 20 bucks. So for 15 to 30 bucks, you could wander from bar to bar and hear 9, 12, 15 bands play. This is a time when this great American city was producing a lot of the alternative, alt-country, just playing good lyrics, guitar, sometimes steel, and some real feeling bands that led and fed into a larger national scene. South by Southwest bands, when you could still afford to go, didn't need a babysitter and Something unexpected was bubbling, out of reach of the mainstream radio, corporate press, and franchise record stores. Still before streaming, I'd say it was a time before cell phones, but even I had a flip phone. But we've talked about that. It was a great time to be a 20 and 30-something, qualifying for a future seat in a fight club full of everyday saints. But I digress. This great American city hosts a summer music and arts festival. It got huge in my 20s when some of the biggest bands in the world came from this great American city and brought both the city, the festival, and its promoters a lot of national acclaim and attention. Okay, a second digression story, which will actually be the first story I complete in this disjointed, melancholy Sunday of a show. And unfortunately, there may be even more singing. One night at the OK Hotel, more than 15, 20 years ago now, so I don't remember if it was an open mic or if this guy was booked, but he took the stage in some variation of a gold lame nudie suit combo. Vegas Elvis meets down-on-his-luck rockabilly look, and he starts strumming his guitar to a crowd of young grungsters looking to hear some grunge. They'd driven from the suburbs to downtown to experience the extreme 90s. Gen X, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody else, sorry. You missed out. So he's strumming away and he starts singing a song, begging Bill Gates to adopt him. No irony. Doesn't laugh. Crowd's quiet and uncomfortable. Not sure what to make of what they're seeing and hearing. There had been a rumor. Eddie Vedder. Jerry Cantrell might be sitting in tonight. But back then, there was a rumor every night that Eddie Vedder or Jerry Cantrell might be popping into every club in the city. Since the bass player of Soundgarden, who went to high school with my date that night, and with whom we shared more than one ferry ride across Puget Sound, he was somehow involved in ownership of the place. So those rumors felt a little more concrete when you heard them at the OK Hotel. This dude finishes his song to scattered applause. Scattered meaning me, my table, and a few others. Everyone but me just being polite. This guy. 
this guy starts thanking the crowd like they've given him a standing ovation and are carrying him on their shoulders to another standing ovation. Biggest troll of all time. But he could also just be out of his mind and deadly serious. His next song goes like this. Actually, wait, uh, a little history first. For those of you who don't remember, Dodi Al-Fayed was the guy dating Princess Diana. And he was driving the car the paparazzi chased the night Princess Diana died. So the song starts. Dodi Al-Fayed, Dodi Al-Fayed, Dodi Al-Fayed. When you're tired and you're laying in your bed, say a little prayer for Dodi Al-Fayed. Well, the crowd listens to about 30 seconds of this and goes seven kinds of ape shit, booing, throwing beer, and whatever they can get their hands on at this guy. I, of course, love it. What can I say? I love both self-destruction and underdogs. And why pick on one dude on stage when you could piss off an entire crowd? So I stand up and start giving the guy the ovation he imagined he was getting before, clapping loudly and shouting the occasional, Bravo! Bravo! Now, the crowd's heaping abuse on me, yelling, Boo! And shut the F up and throwing beer at me, which at that time was a useless gesture. I had two shirts I wore out for nights of serious drinking and picking the wrong side of fights. One was a pure polyester short sleeve, olive green with black polka dots. The second was an off-beige uniform shirt meant to be worn in industrial kitchens or bakeries. The top two buttons were metal snaps, that kind of shirt. The liquid slid right off both. They were impossible to stain. They were sexy as an enraged silverback charging buffalo or bull elephant. And when they were finally worn out, you could just throw them into a trash can fire. They burn right up and keep somebody warm through the night. Sorry, irate crowd. Score another win for the Big Dick Bandits. Okay, it's all coming back to me. Another digression. The time I had to enforce a little soft city frontier justice at a concert. A little closer to the story I temporarily abandoned for that last digression. Because this one takes place at one of the three music venue bars I started telling you about. On this night, Tommy Stinson was playing. At 13 or something like that, Stinson and his brother, along with the Westerberg I mentioned earlier, he of the Jameson's bottle full of ashes, and the girlfriend I should have just walked away from, formed a legendary band called The Replacements. The ultimate self-sabotaging beautiful losers. Listen to the tunes they cranked out during the 80s and you can forgive Westerberg and the boys anything. The Replacements. Anyway, Tommy Stinson is now the bass player in the 2000s version of Guns N' Roses that Axl Rose tours with. By virtue of his early start, he's been a rock star since the 70s, and he isn't that much older than me. He was in a couple bands after the glorious implosion of The Replacements. So this was either a solo tour or something with his band Bash and Pop that brought him to this little downtown venue, and I wasn't going to miss it. Or was I? I got to the venue early. You know what? I think the Sadie's open for him. Is that possible? They've got a couple good songs. The Sadie's. Anyway, old dude irrelevant detail moment passed. 
For some reason, they couldn't figure out that night. The band's setup kept blowing power to the stage. They'd fire up with a huge bash and then pop, zip it. Power is out. Some of the lights, too. Happened a couple of times, and they could not figure it out. After some conferring between artist and management, the conversation start up. General murmuring, occasional drunk shouts and forced laughter. When the magic and lights of the show fade, you're really just standing in a bar drinking. Word goes out. If you want your money back, you can go get it now. But if you stuck with him, if you stuck around, something special might just happen. Then Tommy comes back alone, holding an electric guitar. The bar is only half lit. They reconfigure the crowd that stuck it out. Now, we're facing a corner of the bar itself. Through sheer curiosity and recognition that something cool, at least something different, was going to happen here, those of us who were left got hushed and quiet. All except for two guys in the back. Tommy Stinson apologizes for the problems, but says he wants to play for us still, right here. He perches on the corner of the bar with the guitar across his lap. Will we let him? Cheers go up. Except for the two guys in the back. Nerd talk, programming, blue pass, flexing on contractors, debugging, beta testing, the algorithms on the mainframe. Tommy starts playing. Slapping the electric guitars with a pick. Ever heard an unplugged electric guitar? It's a cool, jangly, metallic, otherworldly sound when you focus on just it. A sound from a world that requires quiet, demands quiet, and gets it. Except from two guys in the back. Well, I'm usually the dungeon master, so I can make sure my characters always have an 18 for charisma. I definitely get more chicks than the rest of the party, even the bards. Tommy adjusts his singing voice, raw and unamplified, in some subtle way, born of decades on the stage. His voice perfectly matches the moment. It is a perfect match for the moment. The dark, hushed room cocoons around the mostly hushed bar crowd. This isn't the concert we expected, but it's the concert that no one else besides us in the entire universe will ever get. And we're responding. We lean in. No coughing. No talking. No clinking of ice in glasses. Breathing slowly. Carefully. So as not to disturb this incredible moment. Except for two guys in the back. I'm refusing to read this room, not staying with this manager after this project, totally incompetent. Still codes in COBOL. In Pachi Domino, Sancti, Punch Card, DOS, 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 Scooby Bop, HTTP underscore begging for a dick punch dot gov backslash up to my lower lip in weeksauce.org. I'd heard enough. There's such a thing as the social order. There's such a thing as leaving the world you imagine and recognizing the magic right in front of you, in reality, a reality that you have to drop your ego enough to quietly share with others, or you ruin it. A we moment, spoiled by a single me. What Coach Poli would call eye decisions or eye eyes. The coach in me exploded into action. I strode to them, 
They were so engrossed in their loud nerdistry that they didn't notice me until I brought my right hand down between them in an angry chop, punctuated by a furious English teacher snap. Enough! I shouted. Now they noticed me. They and harumphed like they were filibustering the House of Lords until I jabbed my right index finger into one of their faces and pointed with my left index finger past shocked and amused faces to Tommy Stinson, trying to give us a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Enough, I said. Can't you see you're ruining the show? In this instance, scattered applause was four. Tommy even cradled his guitar and golf clapped. I signaled to the bartender that Code Boy and the Dungeon Master's next round was on me. The show must go on. For one fleeting, hushed, dimly lit moment, let there be rock. So, back to the three music venue bars, the summer holiday weekend of the big famous music arts festival. For purposes of the National Archive, let's call this story the time everybody stood me up and I ended up on last night's texts. Have I said this already? Every word of St. Hank's is true. Probably none of it ever really happened. Did I? Well, I guess I just did. An interesting thing I learned from either going to this festival or once being engaged to the festival director or covering, reviewing tons of live music, once debating Gene Simmons on gentlemanly deportment, and even being nicknamed Mr. Superlove by Greg Dooley, lead singer of the Afghan Whigs. Damn, when did I ever sleep? And why do I sleep so damn much now when I should be doing something cool? Anyway, I learned that the bands coming into town for this festival contract for the use and marketing of their name and the festival. That means they play on one of the multiple stages of the festival and the festival promotes them. Some groups get booked onto local radio, which promotes both the bands and the festival. But that's only one show on one day of a three-day holiday weekend. I found out that lots of bands book other shows in other venues, smaller venues around town, under aliases so they don't undermine the marketing efforts of the festival. I mean, why buy a festival pass, pay close to the venue parking fees or ticket prices if you could see your favorite band in a much smaller venue? It was a fun little game. Scouring the weekend's concert listings of obscure bands to see if you could recognize the alias of a great festival band. Trampled by Turtles, I remember, had a great alias. My favorite small venue band, the band I've seen so many times live I've lost count, the mighty Old 97s, played at one of these smaller venues this year. A legendary local venue called The Tractor, one place I'd never seen them play before. When I saw the name Satellite Riders booked the same weekend the Old 97s were playing the larger Umbrella Festival, I knew it. Their best-selling album was named Satellite Rides, after all. And if it wasn't them, it was bound to be a band influenced by the old 97s, which a few PBR tall boys and a couple Jamesons down the road was just as good. So I did what I always did. I bought a handful of tickets and put the word out to my friends who loved small venue concerts. I do this a lot. I'd make sure I got old 97 tickets before they sold out, and they would. Then I'd treat whatever friends wanted to come to a great show. They are incredible live. They are for a small to mid-sized venue venues what U2 is to a stadium show. They transcend. 
And they were at the top of their game in those days. I never had a ticket left over. Until this time. The tractor was locally famous for its huge tall boy Pabst Blue Ribbon cans. Before it was a hipster statement and more of a part of the experience, cheap drunk. I'd put on my best Johnny Cash t-shirt and headed to the venue early. I found my secret weapon free after five nearby parking spot and hit the bar. I'd made at least two tall boys disappear and a third was on its way out when the texts started coming and my flip phone, immortalized in episode 18 of St. Hank's, started vibrating with excuses. Sorry, I can't get out of this barbecue, christening, this speedboat race, barn raising, briss. Everyone said they wanted to come, but the short notice meant they were stuck in previous plans and obligations. Now, I won't say I was drunk, but there's charming, there's walking, there's talking, there's ordering another, and there's knowing where you are and what your name is. I could do no more than three of these at a time, and only one of them very well. The others were all in danger of sloppy performance reviews. The old 97s weren't playing for a while, hours, and I was too drunk to drive anywhere. And no one was coming to hang out. So I went to the other two bars, one after the other. The music hadn't started at the second bar. But the opening act was in full swing when I sat heavily on a stool at the end of the bar of the third venue. The bartender asked what I wanted. There's what I want, I said, or think I said. Who knows what words were coming out at that point. And there's what I'll take. I've been stood up and I'm so drunk I'm stranded. I need a Jameson's, and I need it old enough to vote. But I'll take whatever you got. Bartender got a bit of a twinkle in her eye. I have just the thing, she said. I have exactly that. That is my favorite. She set a glass in front of me and a glass in front of her. From somewhere out of sight, she produced a bottle of 18-year-old Jameson. She poured it, and it clung when you raised the glass, to whatever it touched and passed along. We raised more than one glass. To each other. To the adventures you find when stranded and the friends you make when your friends abandon you alone downtown. Now, you might think this would be called the story of the time the chaplain got stranded and drank 18-year-old Irish whiskey for free. Or you might expect it to be the story of how I stopped being the loud, lonely guy sitting alone in his Johnny Cash t-shirt, and came to sit with you instead. But you'd be wrong. Those are fine, accurate titles, but you already know the name of this story. But you may not understand the last part of the title. There used to be a website called Last Night's Texts. The idea was pretty simple. People uploaded funny texts that they received usually from people at parties or stranded by too much PBR and Free Jameson. This is the story of how I appeared on last night's texts. I was having so much fun with my new friends that I almost missed the old 97's first song. The band playing where I was making friends and checking Jameson's voter ID was actually pretty great. And they had an accordion player, which, strangely enough, was not unusual at that time. I once dated a girl who claimed her first marriage should have been annulled because there was no accordion player at the reception. 
If there's no polka at the wedding, she reasoned, are you even really married? She may have been German or Polish. I don't remember. Another friend texted me. Hey, I heard everybody else stood you up. You okay? Where are you? Are you going to catch the show? The next two texts are what someone made immortal out there in the digital landscape. I'm in Ballard, I replied. Almost drunk enough to bang the accordion player. Send. The next text came right on the first one's heels. Almost. Sorry, folks. The algorithm and I have both run out of steam. I know I promised that I would tell you the story of how May Day could have gotten us free tickets but insulted Jay Farrar instead. But honestly, that title kind of tells the whole story. I need to get better at my titles. And I'll get right to work on that. It's been a month of Sundays, perched on the lip of a work week with no payday in sight. It's been a year of Lent with no Easter. The light never goes out, but damned if it ain't been awfully dim lately. But life and light finds its way. Trees are budding. Sunlight is sneaking through. They can bulldoze the occasional green belt behind my house, but somewhere a tree grows in Brooklyn. And around here lately, I've noticed somewhere, somehow, time slowed down. False starts give way to false positives. Every now and then, you've got to make your own cocoon and get a little too comfortable before the time for breakout and first flight arrives. You need to let the lyrics of a Lifetime's music collection slip into the message in a bottle you slip out into the world. And what a trip this algorithm's been taking me on. It won't make me a saint, but it might make me a king. And I wouldn't have to wait. Wait around for the real thing. With the band singing, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now you're gone. Now you're all gone. There's even Waylon singing some Johnny Cash. Forgive me for a Sunday cocoon of music and what used to be and what never quite came to be. There's a lot of country between what we wanted and what we got. Take an extended Sunday to tend that field before it overgrows with weeds and chokes out what's real, true, and good today. The past can spread and do that if left fallow or untended. The past will do that if you don't watch it every now and then. So, it's back to the music. We used to call this falling down a rabbit hole. Now it's streams and algorithms. It's still melodies and harmonies, lyrics that interrupt our thoughts, wrapped up in our wins and losses, our adventures and our crushing, boring enemies. Wrapped around the axle of our lives until we cut in, unwind, and pull them away. One day soon, we're going to dance all night. But for now, like the man says, excuse me if I break my own heart tonight. Both feet on the floor, two hands on the wheel. May the wind take your troubles away. This has been a lesson from St. Hanks, the American badass's guide to everyday sainthood. I hope you were listening. This will be on the test.